Are you a podcaster? Maybe you've got that big idea and you're looking for a network to join. The multi-award-winning Ozcast Network can get your content to eyes and ears all over the world. Join now for the first month free, and you could be featuring this sound at the beginning of your podcast. Ozcast. Simply head to ozcastnetwork.com for details. Unless podcasts, actually not bad. It's <laughs> really good, bro. Welcome back, everyone. Another episode of the Unlaced Podcast. As promised, we did take a few weeks off. I did say we would get back to weekly episodes. Um, we're back on deck and we're firing, and, and I'm pretty stoked today because we do have uh, a superstar guest growing up. I actually always admired him on the field, and so much so that I was quite scared and reluctant to ask him to come onto the podcast as I saw him bouncing around the studio that we uh, shoot the podcast out of. Uh, in Campbell Brown. And for those that know Campbell, a Hawthorne legend, premiership player, uh, a very fierce man on and off the field. But tell you what, geez, it's great to have you in, mate. And um, yeah, thank you so much for giving us your time. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Um, as, as I was saying before, it's, it's, it's quite interesting thinking, you know, with your footy background, you'd be around here at SEN, you know, covering some footy and so forth. But I realise you, you've got a love for SEN track and, and horses. So how did, that, how did that come about? Yeah, I've always uh, loved horse racing. I love the animal, um, I've got a property 45 minutes outside of Melbourne um, and we've got horses on the property. And um, as a young kid, I remember the old man always used to have the races on um, and we'd pick a horse as a youngster. Okay. And um, then when I got to Hawthorne, um, Shane Crawford and a few of the guys there owned horses. And um, I, uh, I was pretty keen to get involved, you know, with uh, horse ownership. So we, we bought a couple of horses and had a little bit of success. Um, so I love that aspect of, of it. I love to have a bet. And um, I just love the social yeah, side of racing. Of you can go there with your friends and um, just have a really good time. So ticks a lot of boxes that, <laughs> that I like. And, <laughs> That's good. Um, when Hutchie started uh, SEN Track, which is, is – a little bit different you know, for anyone that's ever listened to us where we don't have the rights to the races. So we sort of call them ourselves and oh, no play way. music when we win and we try and <laughs> good make it as colorful, as fun uh, as we, we possibly can. So um, yeah, it's been, it's been fantastic considering that racing's gone all the way through during um, lockdown and, yeah. and the COVID stuff. It's been the one constant, the one sport that pretty much hasn't missed a day. It, you're completely right, actually. I didn't even realise that. I was thinking last year, I'm like, geez, the races are on every day, all the time. Just interesting on this, because I assume, given your background, you probably had some sex uh, success on a, on a couple of <laughs> <laughs> a couple of hairs. There we go. Lucky it's a podcast, folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, on a couple of like mares and so forth. But how, how do you know, like, when you when someone calls and you goes, mate, I've got one that, that I think you should get into. Like, I assume you... you get a lot of phone calls like that. You do. do you know? oh, it's, it's a bit of potluck. You've got some guys that, um, you know, really big into it so that they spend a lot of money to get the best horses from overseas and, and buy really, really good well-bred um, fillies and, and colts at sales. And, and they naturally offer them. Right? You might get offered 15, 20 horses a year where you just take a, a percent of. Right. You can take half a percent up to however much you want. Right, right, right. And then it's just a guessing game and um, – you know, if I've I've knocked back some seriously good horses. Um, <laughs> you know that have gone on to win seven and eight Group Ones, oh, no. Boban and um, Sunlight and a few, and you're like you kick yourself. Yeah, I've gone into a couple of horses that are just absolute duds. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Show no ability at all, and <laughs> you have a bit of luck in between. And um, so there's no perfect science. 
uh, and it is quite an expensive hobby, but um, yeah, yeah, of course. it's something that you love and um, you work out who sort of has the luck yeah. and you go with them, you follow yeah. them. Because of magic dust. Exactly. Did did you always want to be a footy player growing up? I did, yeah. Um, for as young as I can remember, uh, if someone asked me what I wanted to do when I grew up, I always used to say I want to play AFL footy and um, primary school, you know, grew up in a, a football family. My, my old man obviously played, um, you know, a bit of a, a legion over in West Australian football. He came across to Richmond for a year, the, the year that they won the premiership in 74 and um, missed it through suspension. He he got rubbed out in the semi-final, believe it or not, oh, no. for, for throwing the ball too hard back to the umpire. Jeez, he threw it back that hard and got um, got rubbed out for a couple of weeks, which he, he missed the prelim and, and then the, the grand final, which they went on to win. But um, loved footy. Like, I was obsessed with footy. Barrack for West Coast when I lived in Perth. Yeah. We, we moved to Melbourne uh, in 1993 when I was 10. Okay. And um, my father got a job at Richmond trying to sort of help them come out of the Save Our Skins campaign when they nearly went broke and they were doing the, the tin rattling and everything. Yeah. He came over to sort of help them financially from a commercial perspective and uh, started barracking for Richmond then. We'd go to the, you know, the, watch the Tigers play every second week and um, just it's all I wanted to do as a kid, you know, yeah, just play AFL footy. But I was, I was always pretty small um, and as I was growing up playing sort of under 12s to 15s, I was a late maturer. Okay. You know those blokes that have yeah, yeah, yeah. Hair, you know, <laughs> yeah. a bit of stubble and hair under their arms. Yeah, and at yeah. a 15, they're, yeah, they're, they're massive. Driving a game. Yeah. I was the opposite. I was you know, skinny and scrawny and a late maturer. So um, when you're sort of 13, 14, 15, 16, that's when you start to get really serious about your footy. Yeah. And uh, my footy was had plateaued a bit. You know, I probably showed really good signs under 10s to 13s. Yeah. When you're playing yep. against kids, yeah. But because I was a late maturer, and and there were other players that were bigger than me, and I was trying to be a midfielder, uh, it was it was tough work. So I, I never thought that I was an absolute chance to get drafted. That was the aim, yeah. but I had to work really hard for it. Yeah, right. That's crazy. Because so, how tall are you now? I'm one seventy seven centimeters, so five foot ten. Did did that ever? Was that ever like back in the generation when you got drafted, which we'll go into the unbelievable draft class that it is? Like, was that ever sort of put against you as your height? Because I'm I'm a similar height, but and and I just always felt felt that I'd be too small. But yep. then, like, I, I I look at you and we're the same height, and I think of like actually people used to shit themselves against you on the footy field. So I'm like, <laughs> did, does height really matter, or like, do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, like it sort of does. Like I I, I got cut from the under 16 uh, Vic Metro side, so right. they picked a squad of 50 and they cut it to 40, and I I made that cut, and they, they cut it to 30, and I made that cut, and um. I remember the last night of training before they finalised the squad. There was twenty eight of us, and they were taking twenty five. That, that was the, Jeez. and um, doing some lame work. And and the coach David Dixon sort of calls one guy, and can you can tell that he's explaining the bad news to him. <laughs> oh, no. Comes back and joins in, and there's another. And I'm thinking, oh, he's just cut two. There's there's literally one person to go, oh, no. right? And sure enough, he sort of oh, no. gestures for me to come over. And, and cuts me from the squad. Um, and you're pretty shattered, you know, under 16, Vic Metro, you, you're getting towards your draft year and you, you know, you're, you're desperate to achieve your childhood dreams. So getting cuts quite a big deal. And the, he explained to me that he thought I was too small. That was the first thing, but he thought I was too slow. Right. Oh, so wow. driving home that night, 
a um, bit disappointed. And, and the old man basically just said, look, if the coach has said you're too small and too slow, you can't do anything about being too small because that's just genetics. But you can do something about being too slow. Mm. So if you really want it bad enough, uh, let's get you a speed coach and you can work on your speed. So at that least then, you know, you're turning a negative into a positive. And um, I'll jump ahead two years, right? Because this is a true story. And I, I sometimes tell this story to kids when I go to talk at their footy club because under 18, this is the top age now. And David Dixon, who was the Vic Metro under 16 coach, he's now taking the under 18s, oh, nice. right? The curse. The, yeah. <laughs> so I had a, a bit of history and a relationship with him, but uh, and he was a great guy, and he, just, and he, he didn't pick me for the under 16. So um, I knew I was borderline again for the under 18s. There were some really talented players that you'll, you'll go through their draft in that year. Again, I made the squad of 50. I was having an okay year at Oakley Chargers. Made the squad of 40. We played some practice matches. Made the squad of 30. You know, um, it gets down to Optus Oval, 27, right? To get picks. So 27 this... are there, and there's 25 to get picked again. This is like right. deja vu, and okay. I've made it to the last oh, night no. again. <laughs> and David Dixon cuts one person, a <laughs> devastation, and then he calls me over, oh, oh, and no. I'm dead set walking to him. Oh, no. Two years later thinking, I know what he's going to say. You know, yeah. this is the same news he's going to give me, like he did at Victoria Park two years early. He's going to cut me. I'm so close, but I'm so far away. And he came up to me and said, Cam, I just want to let you know that you're in the squad. <laughs> Not because we think you're better than him, him, him or him, but six months ago, I went down to Glenferry Oval to watch Hawthorne train. He said I was in the social club having a beer with a friend and I saw this kid rock up in his school uniform, get changed, and go out into the middle of Glenfrey Oval and started doing some running, hopping and bounding and skipping and yeah. running exercises. I turned to my friend. I said, who's that? And he said, oh, that's Campbell Brown. He comes down here every single Tuesday, has for the last 18 months, runs with Bowden Babichek, the sp speed and strength and conditioning coach at Hawthorne, because uh, he got cut from a squad a couple of years ago and the coach said he was too slow. Didn't know that he was saying it to the actual guy You're that said kidding. it. And David Dixon left that day and went, there's a kid that took the feedback I gave him, went and worked on it for 18 months and came back. And yeah, I was a bit quicker, right? I, yeah, I, I was yeah. a bit quicker. You learn to run um, better posture and things like that. But he picked me in the Vic Metro squad purely because he, he, yep, he saw that I was – I was desperate enough to go away and work on it. And I had a really good carnival. I played on Ashley Sampy, who was a young indigenous freak from Great Western Australia. Yeah. And I kept him goalless when we beat West Australia. Then I played on a guy called uh, Burgoyne, who, uh, relation to Peter and Sean Burgoyne. So definitely um, talented. And I kept him goalless against South Australia. And then I played on Gary Ablett Jr. <laughs> in, the, in the final at the MCG. And towed him up, right? <laughs> You're kidding. And on the back of that, I went from maybe getting drafted, like I was a guy that was on the cusp to definitely God. we're going to pick up this guy. I didn't know which club. Wow. But it just, just goes to shine. I try and tell kids that, like, like the harder you work, the luckier you get. Right? 100%. And, and it's, it's the work, but it's also the perception that they see you're doing the work and they know what type of person you are and how dedicated you are and how hungry you are. And that gets you the foot in the door sometimes. Mate, that is um, 
That's one of the most inspiring, Pete, I reckon that's one of the most in- inspiring stories we've ever heard on this podcast. I mean, I, I've spoken about this before to uh, Jamie McLaren, who plays for Melbourne City in the A-League when he came on, because he got cut from, I think it was the state team and the AIS team. And like, you say it now, it doesn't seem like a big deal. But at that time, we were talking about like, that was life or death. And I assume the same thing for you. So to have that response, because he had a similar response as well. It was like, well, you know, I'm not going to take no for an answer next year. I'll get back in. And it's um, it's really hard to think that way that young, like because because it is like the the biggest heartbreak you can you can have. Um, yeah, but come, cu- yeah. Okay, cool. On which one? On on that whole story. <laughs> oh my god! Well, he cut it. No, they they. Rec- All right. What we'll do, what we'll do, Pete, is we might just go through the remainder and then we'll come back to that if we feel it. Yeah, yeah. Just to keep. Did the he not record that? No, the the recording's flashing in and out. He's got it steady now, but through the story. He said it was flashing. Oh, really? But we we kind of do need that, and I don't want to make him repeat it. So um, that's fine. Um, in future, Pete, can if you see that flashing, just let us know straight away, please. Sorry about that. That's all good. <laughs> I don't know if you can be delivered as good as that as well. <laughs> like that. It was... um, all righty. All right, Pete, tell me when we're ready to go. Three, two, one. Now, we spoke, I know that, that story camp was pretty um, <laughs> inspirational. And I assume having had a good carnival once you were picked in the squad after all that sort of work and lead up you'd done to be an AFL footy player, did you know you were going to get drafted? Did you feel pretty confident after that, after the tournament? I was more confident than, um, than before I was going into it. Um, there still weren't a, a heap of clubs that were overly interested in me. I I had four clubs, I think, come and, and sh- interview me and show some expression of interest. One was uh, the West Coast Eagles, and I, I didn't really get a feel that they were ever truly wanting to pick me up. Um, one was uh, Richmond. Yeah. Um, I, I think that was just because of the connection with the old man. I was sort of ticking the box there, just, but weren't overly keen. Um, the Lions were really keen. Wow. And... Hawthorne and um, uh, the recruiter at the time was a guy called John, uh, John Turnbull, JT. For Hawthorne? For or? Hawthorne. Yep. And uh, Hawthorne had just made the preliminary final and they'd lost to Essendon by under a goal in 2001. And I think they were just trying to add a little bit of of grunt to their list, right? Because they were, uh, Hawthorne at the time were a skillful side, but they weren't seen to be um, overly aggressive or tough. Right. They had the number one draft pick that they'd traded Trent Crow to way to Fremantle for and I think had the number one pick and a lot of the fans were not happy because Trent Crow was one of the, the favourite sons. And Hawthorne had, had picked 110, 16, 32, 36. And, um, there was like five or six in that one draft, wasn't there? It was, yeah. So they got Hodgie at one. Right, Talk about adding some grunt, you know. Like, that's That was genius. Um, but came with a bit of pressure as well because there was a toss-up by Luke Ball, Chris Judd, yeah. or Luke Hodge. You know, yeah, who do we pick? Up, who do we right. pick? And they went with Hodge because of the leadership, the hardness and everything. And in the first couple of years, Juddy 
won a Brownlow, played in a premiership, and people were questioning the decision. Yeah. Early days. Can you believe that? Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. Um, they, <laughs> Unbelievable. They got a guy called Daniel Elstone, who was a tough inside mid that never went on to play any games. Uh, Rick Ladson, yes. who, who was a premiership player, um, picked me up at 32 and got Sam, Sam Mitchell at 36, right? So you could argue that, that that 2001 draft really helped set the club up um, to the success we had, you know, many years later. But um, John Turnbull lost his job as the recruiter for Hawthorne at the end of 2004 because one of the reasons was because he picked up Luke Hodge and not Chris Judd. Wait, but so just before, because I'll, I'll go back into this draft class and when I do want to go to the draft class of 04, did he get sacked before Ruffhead and Franklin came in or was that his sort of last? So it was No, nah, he was gone. Okay. Um, he, he got moved on with the new coach, uh, Peter Schwab, left and, and with him, the assistants and John Turnbull and, and, and everyone. You know, that's not the only reason, but one of the big reasons were that Hawthorne had failed in a couple of years post that draft. Luke Hodge was playing AFL footy, but he wasn't sort of the star that Luke Ball and um, Chris Judd was. And people are sort of saying, oh, they made the wrong decision, which is always find extraordinary that you can um, try and map, marry up two players' as career before they finished. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Look right? at it in its, in its entirety at the end. The twilight, right? And, and you know, um, you're certainly not begrudging Hawthorne's decision to pick Luke Hodge at number one mm. after... Um, Three, four premierships, three as captain. You'd prefer that, wouldn't you? Yeah. He's the CV that he had versus Judd. And Judd, you're right, Judd's first few years was like just out of this world. Um, but just to go through this draft class, because it, it's it is just Hall of Famers everywhere. Uh, and I remember, because I was a St Kilda fan, we were in the similar position where we picked up Luke Ball. And Luke Ball's a superstar coming into the AFL scene. But everyone's like, well, we we could have got Chris Judd, or we could have got you know Sam Mitchell, or Gary Ablett, da da da, or James Kelly was even in that yep. um, draft as well. Yep. Um, but like, is it is it still looked back on now? Is it like one of the greatest draft classes ever? And did you know know what some of these lads could achieve? Like when you were in that? Oh, sort you, of pool no, of you don't know. No, no idea. No, I mean we're just seventeen, eighteen year old kids at that time, and right. um, you know, you talk about oh how deep's how deep's the draft, and they're like, oh yeah, no, it's it's deep up to the top twenty or top, you know. But a lot of those players, um, Dane Swan went like in the fifties, and Brian yeah. Lake went in the seventies. Yeah, that's David right. David Hale and um, like th this went all the way to the very end. We had stars all over the place: Stevie Johnson, um, you know, Jimmy Bartell, James yes. Kelly, Gary Ablett. Right. That was Geelong's draft. Yeah, so they did unbelievably well. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, and so yeah, it was. It's it's definitely a draft you look back on and you go, wow, like have a look at the players that they got and the bargains that you could have found at pick 50, 60, 70 and 80. Yeah. And, and a lot of clubs had success on the back of it. And Hawthorne was one of them. The irony because you and Geelong with the players, the quality of players you picked up and then, you know, fast forward six, seven, eight, nine years, the absolute classics that you guys would have against them. And I remember, I uh, can't remember who said it. One of the footy pundits was just saying, it might've been an extra long Hawthorne player, but like, the amount of Hall of Famers on one field at one time when those two were running at yeah. each other, like we'll look back on it and realize, holy shit, what a, like what an epic battle that was. Um, coming into Hawthorne early days for you, and obviously this is 2001, this is pre Alistair Clarkson, this is pre the Hawthorne we know today of just the, you know, the last 10, 10 years that have been so dominant or 15 years. What, what was it like for you as a young kid? Um, oh, I was fantastic because I lived just up the road. Right? Um, so Glenfree Oval, we were still training at. We'd take 
two minutes to, to get to. I was still living with my family. So in terms of, um, you know, moving to Brisbane, if I'd have got drafted to Brisbane, I would have had to have moved in a state, tried to break into a side that had won. That they were just, that they they were just about flag. to go. Yeah, they just won 2001. They're about to win 2002, three and play off in a granny in 04, right? So I'm thinking, like, I'll never get into that side. Yeah. So to go to Hawthorne, that we're on the cusp of success, but living up the road, you're just a starry-eyed kid. You know, you get there and all of a sudden you're training with Shane Crawford and, and these guys. It was just, it was just great. Um, but you don't think too much of it. You know, you sort of just want to get there and, and improve and be the best sort of player you can be. I, I was a million miles off playing AFL footy. Mm. I started my career in the Box Hill twos. Yep. So not even Box, Box Hill. Hill ones, twos. Yep, the twos, right? right? In the development league. 9am on a Saturday morning, I'd get there. <laughs> I was the only listed player on the ground. <laughs> so all the other Box Hill players were playing Box Hill ones. So wow. I was coming from a long way back. Did that hit you mentally at all? Or you oh, just that was took really, it, on it was a bit frustrating. Yeah. But again... It's just another hurdle you overcome, and you're like, yeah. well, right, I've, if I play good footy in the Box Hill 2s, I might get a look at the Box Hill 1s. And I played one game in the Box Hill 2s, got elevated to the Box Hill Seniors, played two games, belted David Teague. <laughs> you joking. And got rubbed out for two weeks, right? Wow. So coach wasn't happy. Um, you want to get as much game and development into you as you, as you possibly can. Um they discussed bringing me back through Box Hill 2s again. Right? And they didn't. They brought me back through Box Hill 1s. I played two more games. Yeah. The seniors had had a terrible loss. Right. And Swabby, the coach, decided he wanted to make a bit of a statement on some of the senior guys. Yeah. And he picked he picked me um, and a couple of other young guys to go to Adelaide and play Adelaide at Footy Park, Adelaide Oval. Yeah. Footy Park it was, yeah. To debut. So all of a sudden... Like is this in again, your first year? Yeah, again, how quickly, how quickly, wow. 2002, oh, so my so first sorry, season. first season. How quickly it can turn. You're, you're playing Box Hill 2s and thinking you're a million miles off, which you are. So all of a sudden, I, got, I debuted round 11. And I just remember saying to myself, I, I got this opportunity before I, my, before I deserved it. You know, mm-hmm. like um, some players play really good footy for two years in the twos and they can't break it in. I was like, now I've got the spot. Don't lose it. I'm not losing it to anyone, right? Yeah. I'm just going to do absolutely everything I possibly can. I never want to be out of the, the side again. And I never got dropped my whole career. I miss <laughs> games with sus- suspension. I miss games with injury. Yeah. But I never, ever played another game in the twos ever again. Wow. So um, that mentality is so unbelievable to me, though, because then you get when that, like, that full 360, I still think there's a, a lot of bl- blokes that would – you know, be in the box hill twos and think, fuck this, like, I'm way better than this. Yeah, and but that's an ego thing. You've yeah, got to put but your see, that's your pretty ego good away. that you can have that at a young age because usually some some kids do, but I think that's sense. Yeah, I think that um, you need to have self-confidence in your ability, Yeah, which is different to ego. You know, 100%. if you're the best you're the best player in, you know, in the sport and you, you've done things, you, you can have an ego, right? When you're an 18-year-old kid that has done nothing, yeah, you you've got no choice. You, you can have the self-confidence and belief in you, but you don't have the right to have an ego. Yeah. And you don't have a right to be shitty that you're playing back pocket when you think you should be playing midfield or you're starting on the bench, right? Yeah. Park it and and prove with your actions. Right? And they're the best the best players that I remember playing with were those guys. Sam Mitchell didn't get drafted in his top age year. Yeah. He sent 
a video of himself to 16 clubs, right? Or every club out there saying, this is my highlights package. I'd, I'd love to come down and train with you guys. And he said of the 16 clubs, 12 never got back to him. Right? Three said thanks, but no thanks. And one club invited him down to, tr- to train at Box Hill before Christmas with no expectations or guarantees. And he did that, made Box Hill side, had a reasonably, reasonably good year, got drafted, um, went on to be four-time premiership player, Brownlow medalist, and captain the club, right? Brad Sewell was off the rookie list, started his career as a back pocket, wanted to play midfield. Then he got in there as a tagger, right? It takes time, you know? So you just got to let your actions do the speaking and not, not have an ego, not crack the shits when things go wrong because you can turn them around really quickly. And um, my motto always was uh, anyone can play well in a winning side. The ball's free-flowing and everything's good. Make sure you're the best player for your team when you're in a losing side. When you're down by 10 goals and there's 18 minutes gone in the last quarter and people are thinking, ah, we'll get through this game. We're going to lose anyway. That's when you go your hardest. You smother, you tackle, you chase. You go back with the flight because that shows to the coaches, your teammates, but the supporters, uh, he's still having a crack. Mm. And I'll never drop a bloke after a bad loss that has had a crack. I'll drop the the players that drop their hair and um, try and play footy on their terms. Yeah. But I'll never drop the bloke that keeps having a dip. Well said. Well said. Is the 01 draft for Hawthorne. I mean, rough head, uh, Franklin, Lewis, like, just, again, three Hall of Famers that are just going to be talked about for a long time. One question on those three. When they came in, did you th- did you have a feeling that those guys were going to be as good as they were? As yeah, well? you did. You, you knew um, very early on that they that they were all going to be really good players. At, to what level? You, you know, you wouldn't say, oh, Franklin will end up kicking a 1,000 goals because it's just, it's unbelievable what he's been able to achieve. But they all came in with... Uh, they were athletically pretty gifted. Um, they were confident. They slotted straight into our side relatively early, like most of them played from day one. And we were very much in the, the development phase. We just had to get games into these young kids, right. um, build a, a really strong um, structure and game plan around what we had because Clarko came in um, and was was pretty hell-bent on playing a certain style, a method. Yeah. Um, and it was probably uh, quite a futuristic game plan right, that okay. we weren't capable of executing, right? <laughs> yeah. But we knew that if we could, it would hold us in pretty good stead, you know, defensively and everything to, to be a better side because we're coming off five wins and second last on the ladder sort of stuff okay. you know, and a bit of a clean out. Yeah, um, we Got a new training facility in Waverley, which was pretty important because mm. – um, Glenfriover was pretty decimated and small, wasn't it's it? small as a train line there. You couldn't do yeah. proper full ground drills. and It's quite historic when you look at that ground though. Yeah, it is. You know the history there. Yeah, yeah. Re- really good. But sort of modern footy moved yeah. ahead and, and Hawthorne was, was stuck, you know. Yeah. So getting Waverley, which was state of the art back in 2005, uh, probably a bit old now even, but um, and Clarko coming in with this game plan and r- wanted absolute discipline. The amount of times that we'd had to get up at five or six in the morning, drive down to um, Kerford Road in St Kilda and jump off the pier <laughs> as a group because a player had missed a massage, a physio appointment, was late to a meeting, right? He came in and he wanted to um, 
an example. Set an example, but not just to the player. Uh, it's easy to just say, right, you missed the massage. You're going down. He wanted buy-in from the group. Wow. So you let everyone down by missing a massage. So all of us are going down and jumping in the water. And that's, that's, awful. that's the last thing we that want to do on a day off at six in the morning. Yeah. And it happened repeatedly until players started to take a little bit more responsibility. Wow. And they stopped missing massages. They, they were punctual. They were on time. They weren't leaving their tape in the showers for someone else to pick up. Just all those little things we got much better at. And it's amazing. Once we got better at that and understood the expectations that we needed, mm. we got better on the footy field. And he would go through every game microscopically going through. If you did the wrong thing structurally, you got exposed on a Monday in the game review. It wasn't about missing targets, dropping marks. Uh, it was about not doing the right thing by the team. And um, and that's how just slowly, bit by bit, player by player, we've become a better side. Wow. It's um, one thing I was clean, keen on hearing about Clarko, because Clarko came in, what was it, 2004? Yes. Yep. So for that, I mean, you kind of spoke on some of like the immediate kind of cultural changes and stuff, which I do want to go into like the Hawthorne culture a little bit. But when he came in, we're... Like the, some of the things you said there, I assume were obvious immediate changes. Were there were there other real sort of things where you're going, okay, shit, this place is gonna gonna change a little bit under his guidance? Yeah, relatively quickly. I mean, the first thing he did as senior coach of Hawthorne was book us on a plane, and we f- all flew over uh, to Papua New Guinea, and we walked the Kokoda Track. That was one of the first things wow. he did. Start of December, two thousand and four. Here we all are, um, seven day hike. We got the SAS soldiers that are taking us, and we're we're also looking. At leadership, because um, Shane Crawford had stood down as captain, so we didn't have a, a captain. So that went... Was this 04? Was, was yeah, this 04. first year? Yep. yep. So it was a bit of seeing who are going to be the leaders who are going to drive us to success. And that was great. I remember the first night we uh, were at a place called Isharava, which was a famous battle site. And we got up late at night and we, we walked there in the dark. And um, the SAS soldier um, tells us, some history, some stories about what happened here at Isharava, which was um, where the site where the Australians fought the Japanese and were outnumbered and they, they forced them back and there was a lot of casualties taken. And on the uh, Isharava, there's four pillars and one word on each of the four pillars, courage, makeship, endurance and sacrifice, right? And when we did the hike and we came back um, to Australia and we're having a talk about what we got out of Kokoda, um, apart from, you know, the, the great significance historically with the diggers fighting the Japanese and holding them, holding them at bay for so long, <clears throat> not allowing them to get through to Port Moresby and then attack Australia was unbelievable. We just kept coming back to Isharava and that one night mm. when Clarko said, what do you blokes want to stand for as a footy club? What, what words do you want to be known for as players? We went courage, mateship, endurance and sacrifice. If, if we can take those words that were on the battlefield at Isharava and we can play with courage, mateship, endurance and sacrifice and you can you can rate our performance based on those four pillars and what they look like, then we've got a tangible goal that we can all strive towards. And that, that's a pretty important um, sequence of events for Hawthorne. Yeah, that, that would have been like some like real culture building and team bonding experiences as well. Combining that with um, 
like some war torn stories. I, I have seen footage, uh, some sort of footage of you guys doing the Kokoda Trail as well, and it looks Brilliant. like an absolute grueling. Do it, do it if you can. Yeah. Get some mates, and once the world opens back up, you know, I, I'd do it. It's just magnificent oh, to mate. do. So when we're like a couple of those things there, when you're setting those examples of of like the team you want to be and that the culture you want to build, like. Was that a, a thing that Clarko said he wanted to change or he naturally just came in and built it? And, and on top of that, like how critical was that to you guys getting success so quickly? Oh, that was really critical. Obviously, um, we knew we had a talented list. You know, did we think we could win a premiership? Who knows? But uh, when Clarko came in, he started to set the boundaries and the game plan and the disciplines around it. We were improving. Um, the The biggest thing, I think, uh, Clarko had or gave us was real belief. Mm. Like he's a guy that you, you want to play for. Mm. And we we truly believe that his game plan and structure and the words he was saying to us were, were, were going to drive us to success. Right? If, if we bought in and believed. Um, and what he did was he really simplified footy for a lot of players. You've got your superstars, right, that are just gifted. Yeah. Buddy, Hodgie, Mitch. They know what they're capable of. They go out there and they do it, right? And they get kick goals, take marks, make important plays. They'll play well more often than not, yeah. no matter what, no matter yeah, who's yeah, coaching, yeah. no matter what. But to be a successful side, you need to have 22 players on the day all really contributing. And I think Clarko gave players 15 to 22. You know, the, the six or seven yeah, guys that aren't the best. 15%. And, but he gave them belief that if they played their role, we would win the games, right? And even me to an extent, like I was an average footballer till Clarko got there. Mm. And he just he just said, mate, these are your strengths, you know, killing the high ball, um, your aggression in the air, this, that, and that. Play to them. Mm. D- decision-making, disposals. Yeah, we yeah. don't want you kicking the ball. It's not what you're there for, right? Yeah. So you get the footy, handball it to – Guerra, Birchall, Burgoyne, yeah. someone, because they are a better kick than you. I'm not being rude, but yeah, they're yeah, better. Yeah. Right? You're better at winning a hard ball than some of these guys. Yeah, so you win the hard ball. The ball. And he yeah. gave everyone this role, right, That's that right. just played within your limitations. And guys like Michael Osborne, it's not about kicking goals. We want you tackling, chasing, spoiling, bringing the ball to ground, locking the ball inside the foot 50. And if at the end of the day you come off the field and you haven't kicked one, but you've laid four or five tackles, You'll play next week. We'll reward you with vision, you know, of the good things you've done. So all of a sudden, you had all these players that were helping on just playing their role, right? Oh, yeah. And your stars did their thing. Buddy kicked his goals and, you know, Ruffy kicked his goals. But I reckon sides that win finals and, and premierships are built on the 12 to 22 Dude. player are at a really good level that can do their things. And um, and that's, I mean, yes, we were littered with superstars, but it's funny, in some of the biggest games we played, those finals, the 08 grand final, it wasn't our superstars that played well. It was you know, else. Mitch didn't yeah, he, have a great game, but he was kept pretty well held by Scarlett. Or it was Michael Osborne, Chance Bateman, Rick Ladd, um, Xavier Ellis, mm. Clinton Young, guys that, you know, not big household names, big stars, they were the ones that dominated it. Jesus. In those big games, those big moments. So that's kind of, that comes back to like the yearly management of how Clarko was with some of these guys that when they got there in September, they were 
they didn't have that sort of fear factor in their mind of like, they're not good enough. No, nah, well, they just knew they had to go out there and execute their role. Wow. And, um, and that's all you needed to do. You didn't get worried about super coach points, yeah. disposals. Yeah. All you needed to do was execute your role. If we had more players doing that on the day than the opposition, we knew we would win. Yeah. All right. So it's, it's a bit, of, it's a bit of selflessness. But if you don't have that ego, if you don't go out there and think, oh, I've got to be the guy that kicks four today for us to win, mm. right, then it doesn't matter. We knew that if Buddy wasn't kicking goals, Mark Williams would bob up. Cyril yeah. Rioli would bob up. Yeah. Um, in the midfield, if Mitch wasn't getting the clearances, that's okay. Brad Sewell could. Some, Lewis, a young Lewis back then. Right? Yeah. So, um, I mean, he says it a million times, but, Lose a soldier, replace him with another one is a saying that while it's bad that you're not in the side with injury, suspension, or you get dropped, we're replacing with the guy that's going to play the exact same way yeah. as you. And that was the mentality. Hey, unreal. Coming into 2008, did you guys have a feeling like you were sniffed to win it? Not at the start of the year. Um, we had a good year in 07. We'd made the finals for the first time, but we're still young and, and learning. Um, the one thing we had in our favour was we were starting to master Clarko's cluster, that full ground press that he brought in, which was revolutionary. Mm. No side knew how to get through it. You know, they tried handball and they couldn't. They tried chipping with kicks. They left players inside the Ford 50 to spook us. So, mm. But we were getting better and better and better through training and games and vision and everything of this full ground press. And Geelong were by far the best side in the comp. They won 07. They dropped one game in 08. But we always felt like we had the, the cattle and the game plan to cause them trouble. Could we beat them as a young, as a young side? Oh, we need a few things to go right. But we didn't fear them. Um, and we lost to them late in the year, I think about around 17 or 18. We played them at the G on a Friday night. We probably should have won. We made a few errors and turned the ball over at a crucial stage. And they won by nine points or something. Right? Mm. But we left that game going, no, we can definitely get them if we play them again in the finals and that happened to be the grand final. And uh, we all know what happened there. They didn't kick straight. Mate. We did. We took our opportunities in the third quarter and we, we stole a, a grand final that statistically we probably shouldn't have because mm. they won clearances inside 50 shots on goal. They won every category, right? <laughs> that you need to win a, a game, let alone a grand final, but they, just they kick kicked like shit <laughs> and we kicked a few out of our ass. Uh, and we, we got that grand final that, um, well, it was, yeah, it was before our time. It was Clarko's first. It was my only grand final because I wasn't at Hawthorne for the three-peat. But yep. it just set it just, it was set a tone. What was the – like, what was – what is that fucking like, like winning a premiership? Is it cause, Like, we talk about the moment of when you know, the under-16 Victorian coach said, mate, you're too small and, you know, too slow. And then fast forward to 2008, you've just literally won a grand final. I mean, that – is that everything yeah, that you could that, ever ask for? Yeah, it is. Um, I'm not very emotional type of person. I'm pretty pragmatic. and um, But I, when the siren sounded, you know, I, I openly admit, it brought a tear to my eye just yeah. because you think back to when you're 10 years of age and, and all you want to do is play AFL footy. You had to work so hard to just get on the list, um, go through injuries. I, I'd had some, some injuries over the journey. Um, that you've got to work through. That's just a natural part of playing footy. Um, but then you've achieved what everything that you've wanted to, mm -hmm. right? And 
And so it was really emotional. Shane Crawford's last game, he, he achieved yeah. the exact same thing. But 17 years, 305 games, right? So you Very think tough. like, how good was it that we could send him out like that? Um, and you feel a bit fortunate that you you were able to experience that early early on in your career, like seven eight years in. You yeah, know, we worked bloody hard for it. Uh, I, I've I've always said I'd prefer to have won a premiership late in my career yeah. than than early. Yeah. Jonathan Brown won his three at eighteen, nineteen, and twenty years of age, yeah. and then spent the next fifteen years trying Why is that? to. Is it because it's hard coming off the high in a sense of like uh, or, a little bit? Yeah, like just if you win one at a young age. Um, you probably take it for granted a little bit. Understood. You know, yeah, yeah, you've won a flag and that, and it's great. But how much more would it mean to you if you won it at like 32 instead of 18, right? You've gone through all those years of hard work. That's that's how we felt with with Croft. And I was fortunate enough that I was, it was probably smack bang in the middle of my career. Yeah. I'd done enough hard work to really appreciate it, but I still had an opportunity to continue to play for a few more years and try and achieve it again, which we didn't end up doing. And, yeah. you know, you end up, I left Hawthorne to go to another club. And when I made that decision, I knew that that was going to be the end of winning a flag. Right. I wouldn't have made that decision if I hadn't won a flag at Hawthorne. Understood. You know what I mean? Because you'd be wrestling with, with that. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a great, it was an unbelievable feeling. And, you know, ha having played arguably what I, I would describe as my best ever game of football in the granny in terms of importance, I, I've played better games more touches and kick more goals and things like that. But I started in the forward pocket on Tom Harley. Yeah. Dragged him up nice and high. And I got on the end of, I kicked a goal and I set up a couple of goals and was in the mix. Wow. And then Trent Crowe broke his foot halfway through the second quarter. So I had to go from playing forward. I had my head around playing forward yeah, and yeah. had the tail up because right, I was going all right to full back on Cam Mooney. I was giving up six inches because he's way taller than me. Yeah. And... Had to completely. I was just now become a negating Change defender. I just game. had to bring the ball to ground, spoil, and um, I was I was petrified that he was going to be the guy that won the, that won on the game. That he kicked a couple of goals in the first quarter and looked by far the most damaging player. I'm thinking shit, like hundred thousand people at G. I'm standing at full back. He said to all his teammates, "Get out." I want to isolate this little bloke, right? <laughs> no. I want to isolate him. So I'm standing there. It's like the loneliest place on earth. We're behind, um, and first kick that comes in, big pack, and I went to spoil, and he marked it. I was standing on the mark like, no. this is my worst fear. Yeah. You know, he went back and he hit the post, and then the rest is history. Mate, right? <laughs> he didn't kick another. He didn't kick a goal. Um, so, yeah, like from a structural point of view, to have to get the call from the runner, mate, you're going to full back, yeah. and you know, took some intercept marks and spoils. I I rated as. As one of the best games of footy I've ever played. Is that because it was just so hard to to be multifaceted in such a big moment, and those each moments were so critical yeah. to, you know, yeah. that flag. And Clarko would say to me because he knew that I wanted to be a defender, and I was a defender leading up to that. Late in the year, he's like, "Mate, play your forward. Your um, flexibility right, for the team could be really important come finals time." And he'd say it right, and you're like, "Oh yeah, yeah." Playing up forward in a in a forward line with Franklin Ruffhead, <laughs> Lewis, uh, Franklin Ruffhead, Rioli. Uh, Rioli, Williams, and Osborne. I felt like the invisible man sometimes. <laughs> yeah. You'd be in a good spot, and mate, of course they're kicking it to yeah, Buddy, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's hard to get a kick, and it's a it's a it's a role that is thankless. You might work your ass off, and they'll kick the ball 
yeah, over yeah, your yeah. head and your defender marks and you're like, oh, I've just run eight, right? But true to his word, that, that flexibility became unbelievably evident in, in grand final to, to have to go back to full back and play a role, which I didn't think I would have to do. Trent Crowe never played ever again. His foot blew up. Foot, that's right. That's and he, he come back. stayed on the list for two more years, but he never got back to full fitness and retired. So um, it, was, it was a big moment. One of the great grand final stories. Um, before we just go into a bit of a, an overview of the season or even a bit of a preview for what's to go ahead, I just wanted to quickly touch on uh, the GC Suns. And, and obviously you touched on, you probably wouldn't have gone there if you hadn't have won a flag. Did you just purely go there based off you felt you had a couple more years left in you and you wanted to squeeze the most out of being a, a footy player? Really? Yeah, pretty much. Um, the, the game had evolved a bit. Um, and as I just mentioned, I, I like to be a defender. Clucker didn't see me as a defender anymore because what happened was they brought in the chopping of the arm rule. Me being a smaller guy and bigger opponents, that was that used to be one of my go-tos. Go-tos. You chop the arm, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah. all of a sudden, that was a free. So that made life a bit harder for me. Then after the 08 grand final, they brought in the deliberate rush behind rule, right? Which I think has been one of the, the best rules that they've brought in. But again, for a guy that plays on the last line, who's not a great decision maker or kick, right? <laughs> that used to be my, you know, you look up and you shit yourself, you, you, you <laughs> handball through for a point, right? Yeah. So they brought that in. They got a lot harder on the deliberate out of bounds rule. If you just kicked it up the line out of bounds, it was a free, right? So those three umpiring decisions... Uh, probably hurt me a little bit in terms of being the defender. Um, and so while I was playing as a f- defensive forward at Hawthorne, we had guys like Jeray, Suckling, Bruce, Stratton, some really good players, mm. kids. Mm. They hadn't quite played AFL footy yet, but they were coming through White Cross. And the writing was on the wall a little bit. Mm. You know, Clarko's always brutally honest, and he, he said to me, mate, you're in our best 22 at the moment, but going forward what that looks like, I can't guarantee you, mm. which is fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm 27 years of age. Right. I'm thinking, shit, you know, if, if I knock back the Gold Coast and I stay here at Hawthorne yeah. and I, I end up sort of getting dropped, getting retired at 28 years of age, thanks yeah. for your service, but you're done. Yeah. I had this opportunity to go to a new club. I was vice captain up there in my first year behind Gary Ablett. Okay. They offered three years. So already that would take me to 30. Okay. And they had a young developing list, needed some older guys. Yeah. Maybe I could have got another year or two. So really it's like I was looking at it as a three, four or five year. More as a tactical strategic. Then than 18 months. Yeah. You know, yeah. so. Yeah. But making that decision is hard, obviously, because I love the Hawks. And um, when I made the decision, I knew that we're in premiership mode still. We'd won 08, but we hadn't had a great nine or 10. But we weren't a million mile off. Yeah. I didn't think we'd go on and win three yeah, premierships three post that, you know, but um he had to rebuild that side again and, and you know, that's one of his great efforts because I left, Saver Ellis left, went to Perth, Clinton Young went to Collingwood. Yeah. All these guys left or yeah. got retired or, and he had he built that three peat again with Isaac Smith and Piopolo and all all yeah, you know, Liam geez. Shields and, and a, another group of guys. Um, still the superstars, but uh, that's why there's only five or six of them that played in all four. You know, Buddy left. So there's a lot of guys that, that end up leaving. Um, but yeah, that was the Gold Coast Suns. It was pretty tough up there. Like, it was probably, I knew that uh, we wouldn't win many games and it'd be hard, but it was 
probably harder than I thought. If you mm. speak to any of the, the senior guys, facilities were terrible. Yeah. They were training out of sheds. Yeah. Um, and we're just getting beaten by like 15 goals a game. And, you know, it's not the young guys' faults right, because they're just learning it. So a lot of the responsibility f- fell back on the senior guys. Mm. There was only like four or five of us. Yeah. Nathan Bock broke his leg, never played again. Gary Abbott was dominating week yeah. in, week out. He's a freak. Yeah. So when they were looking at the Suns and they're probably going like, oh, they got these players on big money, Brennan, Rishkatelli, Harbrow, Brown, they're not playing at the level that they should. Yeah. And that was a bit frustrating because like, like my level at Hawthorne was 10 to 15 disposals, not do too much kicking because they didn't want me to, spoil, compete, tackle, chase, smother, you know, be, be aggressive. I found I was doing that exact thing at the Gold Coast. Yeah. But because we're losing by 10, 15 goals, <laughs> the the media or the people sort of saying, oh, he's not playing well. That's not good enough for one of their leaders. Yeah. And, and I, that's what I wrestled with a bit because what was considered a good game at Hawthorne, when you play that and you've played your role, you've won, that exact role wasn't good enough up there because we're getting pumped. Yes. So it was, um, we copped a fair, fair bit of criticism um, up there and, the development program probably wasn't what it needed to be. Yeah. Hawthorne had a great development program. They yeah. really put time and effort into the kids to get their skills right. And up there, they just gifted games to players that didn't deserve them, but thought they'd be better players at 30 games than they were at 10. Yeah. But only if you teach them the right way to go about it. Yeah. If you're not actually teaching them defensive running and the little things or dropping them for poor performance, they're just getting games for the sake of it. And for the sake of it, under false pretenses. Yeah. I think that happened a little bit. At the Gold Coast, there was some improvement naturally, but then to get them to the next level just wasn't there because um, the NEFL's not a very strong competition and um, the, the players worked out pretty quick that they were getting games yeah, no matter just, what. Yeah, yeah, it's not what you want. Mate, pretty, pretty incredible career you had. Um, as I said, some of those stories are, are, around Hawthorne are, are folklore. I mean, they're going to be talked about for a long time, that squad. So, um, before we do round out, Campbell, I did just want to get a few few pointers of you off, off the current season we had. I know you do a lot, a lot of work behind the scenes and covering the footy with, with SEN and a, and a couple of the other mainstream channels. Um, but overall, how, what was your take on the season um, that we've had thus far and obviously with the COVID in and out and the bouncing around? Yeah, they've done another terrific job, the AFL. I think the season's been fantastic. I mean, I think Port Adelaide are the team to beat at the moment, but the fact that we're sitting here and there's six genuine chances that can win the flag, I think for the AFL point of view is magnificent. You know, that's what you want. Um, and yeah, the COVID hit again, which made it a bit frustrating. And, and I'm sure the AFL would have liked their time again in terms of the fixture and a few little things like that. But the fact that they've been able to, to juggle another year mm. and it's been really exciting. I mean, look at, look at the, the, the last round of the season, Crazy. how good those games were yeah. You know, Maxi Gorn's goal after the siren, which then puts them you know, on top of the ladder, which changes the, the dynamics of the footy finals. And um, it's just, it's brilliant. So, yeah, I, I reckon uh, they've done a good job. I think Port, I've, I've said this the last month, they just have been building nicely. I used to think they were too one-dimensional. It was Charlie Dixon or Bust. Mm. And just over the last five or six weeks, you know, Georgie Artis didn't play on the weekend, but he bobbed up and he... He could kick some goals. Rosie, 
Um, Pete Laddams, I think, will play a pretty important role in the next few weeks. Yeah. Uh, Marshall. So all of a sudden, if Big Charlie doesn't kick his three That's or four, others. but he just competes and brings the ball to ground, Orazio Fantasia, you know, how good was he? Yeah. Now they look like a side that um, their back line's solid, their midfield's rock solid. Now they've just got enough options up forward that it's not Charlie Dixon or Bust and they're proving it. So Port's your pick. They're it's my a pick. Pretty top, it's a pretty good top six too. Like it's, it's not a major gap between... You know, yeah, at least a couple of them. I'd be wrapped if Melbourne won it. Obviously, the you know they haven't they haven't been in this position for a long time, um, so long since they've won a flag, and the long suffering demon supporters would love it. And they're good. Um, Geelong have have been a bit disappointing, haven't they? But they yeah they get themselves in a really good position, and and then they lose the first week of the finals. Yeah, they do it all hurts. the time, but they've got the list that can win it. Yeah. Um, at Brisbane, you know, I think I think their best is good enough. They've they've got to do it the long way now, but. Um, GWS are, are, are smoky. You know, they got yeah, to hope they're, they're a great smoky. If Toby Green, I mean, it's all all good to play. Jeez, he's... yeah. And the doggies, well, they were they were probably premiership favourites up until a month ago. Correct. You know, so yeah, been a great year. Awesome, mate. Oh, uh, Campbell Brown, I just want a, a big thank you for coming on the show. Um, absolute superstar of a bloke, a great storyteller, as everyone has listened on throughout. Um, get onto SEN Track, blokes, if you want to listen to a good show, learn some stuff about horses and. And win some coin. Um, but thanks again for coming no, on. My pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure. Cheers. Awesome. Are you a podcaster? Maybe you've got that big idea and you're looking for a network to join. The multi-award-winning OzCast Network can get your content to eyes and ears all over the world. Join now for the first month free, and you could be featuring this sound at the beginning of your podcast. OzCast. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details.